Welcome to the Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of therandyreport.com, where you can find me every single day on the internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. In this week's headlines, a professional rugby player in Australia who was stripped of his contract for homophobic social media posts wants fans to pay his legal bills. White House hopeful Elizabeth Warren has proposed allowing same-sex married couples be allowed to file amended tax returns for refunds. A Texas couple found a touching note on their porch during Pride Month. And Billy Porter is getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. All that and more in this episode of The Randy Report. Israel Falau, the Australian homophobic rugby player who was canned after several anti-LGBTQ social media posts, is now asking his fans to pony up over $2 million to fund his continuing legal battles. Falau was pronounced guilty of a code of conduct breach and stripped of his contract last month for posting hate speech on his social media. Falau is a fundamentalist Christian, and on April 10th, he posted a graphic on his Instagram telling homosexuals, among other people, hell awaits you. He was told during his code of conduct hearing that if he would remove the Instagram post that said homosexuals were destined for hell, he could save his contract and career. The Sydney Morning Herald reports the former rugby star has now filed a complaint with Australia's Fair Work Commission against Rugby Australia and his former team, saying his employment was unlawfully terminated because of his religion. He is reportedly looking for $10 million Australian in damages. Rugby Australia responded saying he was bound by a code of conduct for all professional players in Australia that spells out clear guidelines and obligations regarding player behavior, including respectful use of social media. He chose otherwise, and now he wants someone else to foot the bill. Last week, he launched a crowdfunding campaign asking supporters to donate money towards his legal fund as he continues to wrangle with Rugby Australia. But over the weekend, GoFundMe shut down the crowdfunding campaign, citing violations in their terms of service. In a statement, GoFundMe said, As a company, we are absolutely committed to the fight for equality for LGBTIQ people and fostering an environment of inclusivity. While we welcome GoFundMe's engaging in diverse civil debate, we do not tolerate the promotion of discrimination or exclusion. The statement also noted that all donations made to Falau's campaign would be refunded. Before being terminated, the campaign had raised over $700,000. Now, enter the Australian Christian Lobby, a Christian extremist political lobbying group who have now set up a new fundraiser with the same goal on their own website. And they kicked in the first $100,000 themselves. As I speak these words, ACL has banked over $1.5 million in just a day. It's worth noting that according to the Australian.com, Falau owns eight homes 
worth over $5 million. He also apparently owns a $500,000 Lamborghini. So I'm wondering, isn't it rather audacious for him to ask fans to pay his bills? Massachusetts Senator and presidential hopeful Elizabeth Warren has proposed a plan to allow married same-sex couples to possibly recoup some of the taxes they paid before the federal government recognized marriage equality. Warren recently reintroduced her proposal titled the Refund Equality Act in the U.S. Senate. Originally introduced by Warren in 2017, the goal of the legislation would be to allow same-sex couples to file amended tax returns in order to collect funds they paid when they were legally married but not allowed to file as married couples. Current law allows Americans to file amended returns reaching back as far as three years, but Warren's proposal would give same-sex married couples the right to refile returns for the entire period the couple has been lawfully married. In a statement, Warren said the federal government forced legally married same-sex couples in Massachusetts to file as individuals and pay more in taxes for almost a decade. In 2004, Warren's state of Massachusetts became the first in the nation to recognize same-sex marriage. But it wasn't until the 2013 ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court in U.S. v. Windsor that the federal government, including the Internal Revenue Service, allowed LGBTQ married couples to access some of the tax advantages of being married. For instance, I married my husband in 2003 in Toronto, Canada. While it was a beautiful, emotional day in my life, once we returned to the U.S., it was, in legal terms, largely ceremonial as it wasn't recognized at home. Living in California at the time, other than using the actual term husband to refer to my guy, it didn't count for much in terms of legal standing until the state Supreme Court ordered same-sex marriages recognized in 2008. Now, Proposition 8 interfered with that, but after a long back and forth, we were allowed to keep our legal status, but that's another story. However, in that our marriage wasn't recognized by the federal government yet, we continued to file our tax returns as single until the Windsor decision. We did file amended returns, and we got back a hefty check that I was happy to cash. CNBC reports that married couples have access to higher standard deductions, $24,400 for joint filers in 2019, compared to $12,200 for singles. Additionally, couples who file jointly enjoy wider income tax brackets compared to singles. That's not to say, however, that every couple would benefit financially from refiling their returns. Known as the marriage penalty, two spouses who have similar incomes might end up in a higher tax bracket. But in the case of married couples where one spouse makes more or less than the other, the joint tax bill could be lower. The Joint Committee on Taxation reported last week that perhaps $57 million could be reclaimed under Warren's legislation. Last week, partners Megan Stabler and Sal Stowe found a touching note placed under a rock on their doormat in Williamson County, Texas. The note read, You don't know me, but my name is, redacted for privacy, We're moving today, but I wanted to thank you. Seeing a pride flag waving so proudly outside your house every day 
has given me the courage to come out to my family and be more comfortable with who I am. Sharing the note on her Facebook, Sal Stowe wrote, This is why visibility is so important. You never know who needs the support and to know it's okay. I hope this person is okay, their family is being supportive, and they find a community to connect with that can help them through this brave process. She also explained that county officials recently voted 4-0 to zero to not allow the pride flag to be flown over the courthouse during Pride Month. But that won't stop her from showing her pride. She concluded her note saying, I'm proud of who I am and the person I love. I will continue to be visible in whatever way I can. Bravo. A St. Louis man has been charged with making a terrorist threat after allegedly telling Pride Fest organizers he planned to show up at this year's Pride Parade with his guns and, quote, kill every gay person I can before I kill myself. Pretty black and white. The St. Louis Dispatch reports 49-year-old Edward Terry created a fake email address using the name of a woman he used to live with in order to send his threat to a parade organizer. But, after being notified by the recipient, the FBI tracked the account to Terry's cell phone. Terry's bail was set at $20,000. St. Louis's Pride Parade regularly attracts hundreds of thousands of participants and spectators each year. The St. Louis Pride Parade was in the news earlier last week after organizers reversed themselves on whether to allow police officers to march in uniform in the June 30th event. The Post-Dispatch reports that Pride St. Louis requested officers not take part in the parade, quote, citing sensitivities surrounding the 50-year anniversary of the New York police raid on the Stonewall Inn bar that helped spur the gay rights movement. But, after meetings and discussions with police and LGBTQ community leaders, the decision was made to allow LGBTQ police officers to march in uniform. Good decision, in my opinion. Mayor Lida Krusen told the Post-Dispatch, quote, Exclusion of our police, or frankly anyone, is not in the spirit of our city. The Archbishop of Indianapolis told a Jesuit high school to fire a teacher engaged in a same-sex marriage. The school said no. And so, on June 21st, Archbishop Charles Thompson decreed that Brebeuf Jesuit Preparatory School in Indianapolis will no longer be recognized or identified as a Catholic institution within the Archdiocese. Thompson said the church considers Catholic school teachers to be ministers of the faith. The conflict pits the Jesuits, an order of priests known for educating generations of Catholics, against the church's powerful hierarchy. It's also the latest brouhaha between Catholic schools who want to employ gay and lesbian teachers and bishops who insist that all employees be believers in hardline Catholic doctrine. In general, Jesuits in their schools typically enjoy a degree of independence from the church hierarchy. In contrast to other Catholic schools forced to fire gay teachers, the Jesuits rejected Thompson's request to remove the teacher. Reverend James Martin a Jesuit priest and author, says it's rare for a Catholic institution not only to side with its LGBT faculty members, but also to do so in the face of such fierce opposition from a bishop. 
He added that it's also rare that a bishop would go so far as to publicly remove the designation Catholic from the school. In a statement, leaders from Brebeuf Jesuit Prep School said it has respectfully declined the Archdiocese's insistence and directive that we dismiss a highly capable and qualified teacher due to the teacher being a spouse within a civilly recognized same-sex marriage. The Reverend Brian Paulson, who heads the Midwest province of Jesuits, said that the teacher does not teach religion and is a longtime valued employee of the school. Paulson also said that leaders of Brebeuf said they have always had control over their own personnel decisions, and that the Jesuits will appeal the decision, first through Archbishop Thompson, and then, if necessary, the Vatican. And the category is Hollywood. Billy Porter, currently starring in the second season of the acclaimed FX series Pose, has been announced to receive a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. The Golden Globe nominee will be honored at an induction ceremony in Los Angeles at a date to be announced. After spending the 1990s appearing in Broadway musicals like Grease, Smokey Joe's Cafe, Five Guys Named Mo, and Miss Saigon, Porter took a hiatus from The Great White Way. He said he was tired of being trotted out to center stage to sing a show-stopping number, but never being given the chance for meteor roles. In 2017, he penned an essay for the New York Times explaining his decision to turn down those stereotypical roles, writing, It was time to lay down the clown games of my past and find a new dream. For years, he waited for opportunities, begging for a chance to be seen for roles like the MC in Cabaret and the title role in Hedwig and the Angry Inch, but to no avail. So he stepped back, and decided to create his own stories. He enrolled in a screenwriting course at UCLA. He became an artist-in-residence at the Public Theater in New York City, where he would create his one-man show, Ghetto Superstar. He finally got his chance at a heavy-duty role when he was cast in the 2010 off-Broadway revival of Angels in America, in the role of Belize. As Porter says, it took me 15 years to do so, but the game had officially been changed. Then, in 2012, Broadway came calling with a star-making role, drag queen Lola, in the new musical Kinky Boots. Playing to all of his strengths, he broke through to a whole new level, snatching up the Tony Award for Best Actor in a Musical in 2013. In 2018, at an audition for the role of the dance teacher for the then-in-development pose, Porter told casting director Alexa Fogel he didn't feel the role spoke to him. Having lived through the heyday of the 1980s ball culture during the height of the AIDS epidemic, Porter suggested a new role, a paternal daddy character to help usher the inhabitants of the ballroom through their struggles. He suggested, would you like to have a daddy in the room? And weeks later, Fogel rang Porter up and said producer Ryan Murphy agreed with the idea. Porter was asked to come back in with his version of the MC from the film Paris is Burning. The rest, as they say, is history. With all his recent successes, Porter is still creating in the theater. He's the author of the 2014 off-Broadway play While I Yet Live, as well as Untitled Sex Project, scheduled to premiere off-Broadway this fall with Porter in a starring role. 
Additionally, he will direct Dan McCabe's world premiere play, The Purists, at Boston's Huntington Theatre Company this summer. Congratulations, Billy! Actor and social media star Matthew Kemp, from the films Getting Go, The Go Doc Project, and Hurricane Bianca, from Russia with Hate, stars in a three-part sex-positive docu-series called Camp Chaos, produced by Men.com. According to a press release, the series takes on the form of a hybrid documentary-slash-experimental-film-slash-art project. It uses explicit sex as part of the exploration of Matthew's formative sexual memories. Each episode will cover a distinct sexual experience from Camp's life. He first will share the story with viewers and then set about recreating the encounter in explicit detail with a new partner. The series blends reality and fantasy in a way that creates what feels like a true and authentic portrayal of Matthew Camp. What you see is what you get, and Camp is truly and unapologetically himself. In a statement, he said, I feel like it's important as gay men that we exercise our right to want to have sex, to make content with it and profit off of it. It's sort of a revolutionary act. In February, Camp told Attitude magazine, it's important to document sex because there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing shameful about it, and there's nothing crazy about it. You should be able to watch sex as entertainment. Camp Chaos also will function as a time capsule of what gay relationships and encounters are like in a post-online dating and social media world. Its producers say it is current, timely, real, and treats sex the way millennials treat sex. Camp Chaos had its world premiere at the Inside Out LGBT Film Festival in Toronto on May 31st and will be having its American premiere at Frameline International LGBT Film Festival in San Francisco on June 28th. The first episode will be available to stream on Min.com June 28th. Camp has a big presence on social media, with over 574 followers on Instagram, 65,000 followers on Twitter, and a very big presence on his OnlyFans platform. Last December, I had a chance to chat with Camp here on the Randy Report podcast, just as he was prepping for the new project. It's easy to say that he was one of my favorite interviews to date. An intoxicating blend of good-looking country boy with a side of danger, I found him to be thoughtful and well-spoken. It was a disarmingly charming equation. And his sex-positive message is something everyone should hear. So many of us are taught to be ashamed of sex instead of celebrating it. I should also mention that in addition to all of his social media projects, he's also designed his own line of t-shirt and leather gear, and he's launched a line of provocatively named fragrances titled Eight and a Half and Transgression that are inspired by and conjure up his memories of working in bars around sexy men. On a personal note, I do my thing here on The Randy Report because what I share here are things that are, one, important to me and I think people should know, or two, things that remind me I'm human and we should never lose touch with that. So it was an extremely lovely surprise this past week to see a tweet I was tagged in that led me to an article on PRNewsWire.com. Each year during Pride Month, the authors take time to recognize and celebrate those in the LGBTQ media that bring unique voices and stories to the conversation. 
In the past, they've recognized some of the top LGBTQ influencers and news sites. This year, they chose to shine a light on LGBTQ bloggers that share their unique insights, advice, and great writing, their words, not mine, on a variety of topics, including activism, news, and more. The list was full of heavy hitters I read every day, like Joe My God, Raising My Rainbow, My Fabulous Disease, and The Randy Report. Oh my God! I want to go on the record as saying that I was extremely humble and grateful to be listed among all these great names and writers that I read all the time. Thank you, PR Newswire and Rocky Parker. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news in a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't mind sharing The Randy Report with your friends. I like to think of this podcast as the 60 minutes of gay news, only shorter. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I cover the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. As we're still in Pride Month, I'm going to close this episode revisiting one of my favorite tracks by out-musician Rayvon Owen, titled Volume. Having recently come out, Volume was his very next release and the track revealed the artist in full-on, authentic mode. Owen says the process of writing Volume was healing for him as it became an anthem of self-encouragement and reminded him to stay true to who I was. Always a good message for pride. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time. Can I be honest for a minute? That was a time when I could barely find the strength. Another but silence, I'll admit it. Too busy following, not finding my own way. You're lost in the crowd. They draw me out. All the voices draw me out, they draw me out All I know is dark, they draw me out But you can never draw me out, won't draw me out Turn me up, turn me up, boy Turn me up, they don't know about me When the lights go low, when I hit the floor on my own I'm on a mission you best believe it don't need nobody I can dance tonight alone you're lost in the crowd they draw me out all the voices draw me out they draw me out all I know is they draw me out but you can never draw me out won't draw me out Turn me up, turn me up, boy Turn me up, they don't know about me When the lights go low, when I hit the floor I don't need no one Turn me up, turn me up You can't turn me
Turn me down 